Welcome to Inside the Firm. I'm your host, uh, Alex Gore. I'm here with our co-host, Lance Psycho. How's it going? Hello, hello. Doing well, doing well. Thank you for asking. Inside the Firm, it's an inside look into an architecture firm, looking at everything from business, how you run a firm, to our own development, um, being a design-build firm. Um, so we'll just jump right in. First off, what's new? What's new? Uh, well, there's a lot of stuff new, but speaking of design-build, uh, first topic I'd like to talk about is kind of a recap of when we did our first design build project. So okay. so in 20, 2015, uh, Alex and I took the leap and did our first design build project, which was a tiny house aptly named Atlas. And uh, what I wanted to ask Alex is a few things and just kind of, I, one of the things we try to do after every project is write an AAR, after actions review. Whoa. Did you just make that up, or is that an actual industry no. term that I don't know about, and I am an idiot as a result? <laughs> you are not an idiot. Maybe you are. <laughs> Who am I to judge? <laughs> okay. Um, it's from the Army. Oh, So every time cool. you do an exercise, you do an AAR. Say, so, say, say it again. What is that? So, AAR, after actions review. Okay. So that's why Alex That's why Alex likes to do that so much. Yeah. Yeah. So you and your you and your dad made a few videos, I think. It wasn't like there's like a 45-minute thing or a recording or something like that about things we could, how we could build things differently. Do you remember this? Not really. I do. Okay, yeah. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So the first thing I wanted to ask about was uh, when people build these tiny houses, right? The foundation... Are you thinking it was Troy and those guys? Because no, they had it was you and your dad. Yep, it was, old man. It was you Shout and your dad. Shout out OMR. I swear. I think you even did it on... I think you did it... You, you video recorded it. Up at the cabin? Or at my house? At your house. Look at that. I'll have to find that. Keith, if you remember, yeah, just please. remind Alex. <laughs> Email your son. <laughs> you you know you know how to get a hold of me. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so the, the first thing I wanted to talk about was uh, the the custom trailers. So and when people build these tiny houses, okay. So if you're interested yes. in building a tiny house, it all starts with the trailer because that is essentially your foundation, right? And one thing we learned from that is I designed with our engineer the trailer for us because basically we didn't want any weird uh, side conditions. Uh, like where the wheel wells were and stuff like that, right? Th it was wasn't that the just big that. Thing? A lot of them have sort of gates or supports or, or something on the side to keep whatever's in there. Um, to get a, a pretty flat trailer that has a beefy side profile, we needed a, a, a beefy side profile for a couple different reasons. One is just you need something to secure into if you're doing a traditional house. and Because that, that's essentially where you, your exterior walls are going to land on top. So think of it, as, again, as a foundation. Yep. And then the second thing we were doing is that we were having that uh, the deck fold down and the awning fold up. So that puts a lot of force on that side. Yep. Excuse me. And a lot of the trailers aren't aren't built for that. So the first lesson is that, you know, because you know, this is what I do for a job, I can design stuff, talk to our engineer. We did it ourselves. We had one of our oil field buddies make it um, who was in, in welding and, and he had welders that made trailers. And we realized the second time that we did it that there's a company that does it. And they, and are, they specialize in yeah. tiny house trailers. Yeah. And they're located in Colorado. I, I would love to give them a shout out. What's Trailer Made. Yeah, they're tra called Trailer Made. They think they're in Golden, Colorado? No, they're uh, right down Denver. They're yeah. not like in downtown. They're by Colfax. I don't know the address, but you can Google them. Yeah, so they make thousands of these a and year. and they know what the they know well oh. our, our buddy knew what he's doing too he did a great job that's not to take any way but our it was, trailer was totally fine for atlas it's for just, At yep yep but but the fact that you can find somebody that just does this routinely in-house i think they ship them and take them all over the united states all like these guys are a premier 
trailer company for tiny houses if you're looking to get yep. it they're so awesome so again it's trailer made yeah so um th- there isn't a thousand tiny houses being made in colorado alone so that just says they're making them everywhere and they since they do this all the time they do really cool things um like your levelers your jacks um they put them on all four corners which is it, huge for us building them because every day one of our rules of thumb we'd come to the job site when we were building, we built three tiny houses in total. We would level up every yeah. every single day. It was paramount. Okay, guys, check the level because you just never know if those like the pneumatic jacks go down a little bit over time. Yep. And then instead of having a, a beefy rectangular um, a steel piece on the side, they have a basically an upside down angle. Yep. And that allows you to bolt through, so yep. you can bolt your wood to it. So if you're looking, just just go with them, honestly. Oh, and. Uh, because we were doing that craziness, we had them build, we had them add on to their base model and customize it. I've been down to their shop. They've been doing just crazy, like 40, I don't know if it's 40 foot long. It seemed like that. You know how we had that big frame around it? Yeah. Then after they did ours, another guy came and said, I want it. So bigger one. <laughs> so what Alex is describing is <clears throat> typically a lot of, a lot of people who are going to build these tiny houses will just start with the flatbed trailer. And then they build with just wood on top. Well, we, we kind of commercialized the process, and now we have a few copycats, which are great. I love people that yep. think we have good ideas and then use, use them to their, at their will, right? Um, so what we, what, we, what we did from Atlas to even the last two that we built is there's basically four columns on each corner, and then there's beams on the top um, that connect all four of those columns. So... People have sort of like, now they, people are starting to have these frames. So it's kind of like this whole framed thing. And then from there, it's just like you're infilling yep. the framing. And it makes, I, I thought it made the job 100% easier because all of a sudden we kind of weren't responsible for plumbing things up, which was great. So it's sort of like this hybrid yep. prefabrication yep. process. And then also what I like about them too, not that this is a plug or advertisement or anything for them, is that th- their prices are... They're so honest with their prices and their trailers. Their trailers, their custom trailers for tiny houses are at what you could get for a regular trailer yeah. that isn't made for a tiny yeah. house. And what I like is um, when I work with people that I can trust and when people work with us that they trust us, for all that custom work, it was just hourly. And after the after the first one, the first one, they gave me an estimate and they said, it went a little bit longer, but yep. we'll just charge you for the estimate. And then the rest of the work, I was just like, hourly, I trust you guys. Just bill me. And yeah. It was great. Yeah. It's a, we should go back and leave them a review because they've done such a great job. I think I did. I can't remember if I did, but okay. I will. Yeah. I but they're awesome. So um, I would. So anyway, back, you know, even if you're on the East Coast, West Coast, something like that, I'm sure they could get your trailer out to you. Uh, that's kind of our, one of our big lessons learned was you don't have to build the whole thing from ground up. There are companies out there that are starting to specialize in this now, and then they can customize on top of what they already do at a base level. And I think it's the most cost effective way to do it. And I think that's what freaks people out the most is attaching to this trailer and then trying to adapt a trailer. If you're going, if you're trying to make a tiny house for 20 K, you're getting a used trailer. You're using used materials. You're finding stuff at junkyards, at restore, at everything. And uh, you can do it, and that's fine. That that's something that people do. But I think that's maybe the end where you run into, man, how is everything attaching? Is it secure? Am I going to be driving a lot? Blah blah blah. Are these? Is it going to work? But with anything used, that's what you run into. But it's not only used; it's used, and then you're doing it. And if you don't know what you're doing, uh, you're just adding another level of uh, something that could mess up. So if if 
if you were going to buy a new trailer, which I suggest you do, just go with these guys who make them. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. <clears throat> Second thing. So we had custom folding components on all three of the tiny houses that we built. The first one was honestly kind of now looking back at it, I feel like it's at a residential level. Like it, it, the everything was lighter. We could we could do everything. We could lift everything with six guys, but we could still do it with six guys. We didn't have to rent a spider crane. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you is where if people if people go look at our tiny house and I've seen a lot of ones now that people are starting to do folding decks and it makes total sense. Yep. Again, I'm glad that they're copying it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I think it's great. Yeah. But where where would you recommend that somebody starts it when they're trying to design and get that foldability to work? I don't I don't know where you're leading to, but I'll I'll go with the, the two issues that I think are the greatest. One is making sure it fits in. So you need to, you could hand draw it, but you need to make sure everything is, is perfect. Or you need to hire a draftser or something, someone who knows what they're doing. And the other thing is to get the right hinges. Um, yeah, the hinges hinges were key, right? The first, so the first time that we, the first uh, awnings and decks that we installed, yep. uh, they were on door hinges. Yes. yes, they were in commercial door hinges. Yep, commercial level door hinges from I think literally one of the big box stores. Yes, right? Lowe's, Home Depot, whatever. Everything. Yep, and it worked just fine because our deck only was. Uh, it's funny. It's showing on our big screen here. Yeah, <laughs> only folding down <laughs> half the way. It, it was only half as tall as the and whole height. and it was aluminum and it, it was, was smaller. Aluminum. Again, it, uh, on a residential scale, sort mm-hmm. of thing. You know, very very digestible and stuff. So so it worked for us. It's. It, um, you know, we folded the house probably up and down, maybe, what do you think, a dozen, two dozen times yeah. so far, somewhere in there. Yep. And we, me and you can do it. I could actually do it by myself, but you don't, I don't want to throw out my back. Uh, yeah. Um, you don't want hernia number two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alex is breakable. I am very breakable. <laughs> Knock on wood. <laughs> Knock on wood to me, too. I don't want to, I don't want to break. So uh, if you look at our, if you go to Atlas Tiny House and kind of look at the pictures, and if you do less than what we're doing i think you can get those spring commercial spring hinges and those spring hinges help help lift it up a little bit um but i don't know if they do that much really um but then but i well here's what i would say so i i did the ins on the alex and i did the installation on all of the first tiny house together almost everything was done together on the second round alex was more of project manager and designer and kind of coordinating all of that stuff. And then also like managing the finances, finances, the money and dealing with that headache. And then I was more of the foreman on the job site. Mm. So my experience of installing those giant hinges was awesome. It was, and here's, here's why I think it's so, but I got to, so people know when we went into the next two ones on this commercial level, I had someone fabricate and I drew up custom spring hinges. Yeah. Um, And they were huge. I think they were like 36 inches long, maybe somewhere in there. 36 to 40 per side. There were, I think, yes, there were three per side. Yep. Yep. So, so when we installed those, just knowing that seeing the way that they were the way we bolted them in and that they were longer pieces it left less margin of error for installing let's say on the first tiny house where we had maybe six or six or seven hinges maybe even more there we were worried about racking you know like racking it back and forth and you know that you would have misalignment so i think that for me maybe they you know i you made the point that maybe they don't help you with the lifting but i think they at least they they're like another safety level of 
oh, we're not going to rack this. It's going to fold up and down really cleanly Perfectly. and nicely. And how that came about is that I went and looked at all the RVs because some of the toy haulers have mm -hmm. a, a spring-assisted hinge on it, um, and, and they really do help out. So I contacted the manufacturers, and they're like, we're not going to sell you one. <laughs> <laughs> so I found people that would custom make it out of uh, Illinois in Chicago. So I'll put I'll put them in the show notes too. Um, yeah, they do really they do really good stuff. It, that was honestly was some of the coolest stuff I've ever installed. It was just awesome to just like the magnitude of those springs. They were industrial. Yeah, they're, they're cool. But if you if you remember correctly, one we used steel instead of aluminum, and then, for, for the second round, yep, of, yep. and then we did plywood, and then we did a really thick five eighths inch rubber, rubber yeah. on top of it, which was really heavy. But before we put the rubber on, those it really went up with. It, it was easy. It was not too hard. And then that rubber just, and then the glue, everything, then it became difficult. So, so now it's like a four man job. Yeah. And so if you and were, it's, and they're eight feet tall. Right. And so if, but if you, let's say, let's say we built Atlas 2.0 and it was actually a replica here. Um, I think those for, for our deck, excuse me, got to sneeze. <clears throat> I would love to. <laughs> So why you're well, because well, uh, then I think it would fold up and down no problem, right? It'd be so easy, Lance. It'd yeah. be so easy. I could have my kids do it. I could have little baby Kaya do it. L little baby Kaya, tiny, <laughs> tiny, eight year old baby Kaya. I don't know. Is that how old yeah, she is? Yeah, old she is. Oh, good for me. Yeah. <laughs> good Uncle Al knows. Um, I would love to do a, a, an Atlas 2.0 because it would be a cross of everything we learned from both of them now. Because I I would do that wood siding and then I do the industrial hinges on the regular one. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully in the new commercial space, we'll get some orders. That'd be awesome. Yep. So what about, what about, so to sum it up for custom, for like custom folding components like that, you think you got to at least maybe if you're just a do it yourself or learn, learn some software so you can kind of test everything digitally, right? Yep. If you, if you're not, if you don't want to go to that expense, hire, hire a draftsman at the very least to try to test things. Yep. And then, and then what else? Uh, the other thing too, for these awnings that fold up, get gas struts. So oh, you can yeah, Google yeah, gas yeah. struts. So, uh, I'm gonna put all these in the links. I'm just the gas it. struts were key, especially on. Uh, so on the first tiny house, eh, they don't really they don't really work. We didn't install them correctly because we didn't know how to install. We them. Did, yeah, exactly. And we overlapped them wrong. We overlapped them wrong. We didn't. Yeah. So. Uh, and what the gas struts he's talking about, like if anybody has a suburban or or, or anything of a heck of hatchback, open open your hatchback up. That's what we're talking about. Those little struts in the back, and yep. you'll see how they're in, you'll see how they're installed. And and basically, once you look at it, um, you'll see maybe how to how to design and and work your design so that it works. But th these puppies, we, basically, we put them on wrong to begin with, and they didn't do anything. And then I said, nope, we gotta we gotta put it more at like closer to a 45 degree angle. And we could have gone a little bit more and holy cow, it made a world of difference. I thought and it was the opposite way. Didn't we go the opposite way to where it was? Nope. It was like more of an 85 degree angle. No, 80, we, we, 80? we put it at, let's just say an 85. Yeah. And then we went to maybe like a 75. Okay. 60. Yep. Yep. And we could have got a higher pressure one too. Right. So, but one, we did the calculations Two, the manufacturer recommended this. So, um, we just gave what we just did what they said, but can you imagine getting ones a little bit more? Because this thing lifts up the first uh, lifting up to about your head. Mm -hmm. One person can do mm -hmm. um, lifting up these huge eight foot steel structures. Giant. Yeah. yeah. Then getting you know like pressing above your head, 
takes a couple people and it's just that last couple inches. Yeah. It's just step. like anything that last 5% is the most part is the hardest yeah. part, right? But those are so cool, especially when one guy can just take it and just go. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you I could lift it up like yeah. this. So for myself, awnings uh, above for, my head. For awnings, you need you need and for those awnings we 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 still use door hinges, which was fine and the the lifting so the lifting help comes from the gas struts, yep. okay? And then for decks, just to reiterate, spring-loaded hinges. Yep. I think are critical. Yep. 100%. Okay, cool. Um, how about finishes? So you did allude to it, and I wanted to talk about your stainless steel bathroom. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> if you go to <laughs> if you go to atlastinyhouse.com, if you go look at our tiny houses, uh, in the first one, <laughs> yeah. they're beautiful on the inside because we use Douglas fir, and then the, there's cherry there's cherry countertop. So it is like it is, and then there's oak or some oak in the cabinetry and stuff. But it all blends kind of nicely. Yep. Just really beautiful, like pinkish yellowish wood and then alex had the brilliant idea of putting stainless steel in the whole bathroom because he went to tally us we went to tally us and west um and it was deeper was it oh it goes deeper than this okay so fill us in where, where tell us about your infatuation so uh <laughs> your ta- love affair <laughs> tally us and west uh frank lloyd Wright on some of the walls used kind of a ribbed stainless steel mm-hmm. and it looked pretty cool and it was a lot thinner um the the idea that goes really deeper is I, I can't believe you didn't remember this Tim the Toolman Taylor I did not remember this Tim the Toolman Taylor man he, when he did a bathroom it was all do you remember that episode No where, you fill us in Oh man <laughs> he did he did this bathroom where it was all steel I think it was at the the ribs the diamond steel Oh the diamond plated steel Yep okay, the yeah. diamond plated mm-hmm. steel um, he had TVs in there, and then when you turned on your your lights, he had like three level of lights when you're looking in the mirror, and he's like, okay, this is just regular, second is high. He's like, if you want to get your nose hair, you turn on this, and he had car lights, <laughs> like the brights. <laughs> he's so crazy. <laughs> wasn't his buddy, wasn't he on the... Al Borland. Yeah, his buddy like knew actually knew what he was doing, and Tim was just insane, right? And you know what? I think not only did he pretend in the... Like, acted like he knew what he was doing, I think he actually, actually knew what he was doing. Right. Al Borland. In was real like, life. Was like a real guy exactly yeah Yeah. (laughs) i don't think so (laughs) so so alex tim allen did yes (laughs) with our tiny house bathroom i think that's my goal is not to be like al but to be like tim and you can be my al (laughs) there you go i like it yeah 100 percent. that's why this works (laughs) but that idea was only four times worse than uh using your light gauge deal for the stairs oh there you go there you go there's a jab back Yeah. yeah Yeah, but still, I, I wanted to jab back and say like it's just as no, no, the stainless steel is four times worse. <laughs> Here's the thing though, so so it was a giant pain in the butt to get the stainless steel installed, and we only did part of it, and then we had to take it back out because there was a leak. We actually hired like this carpenter to get the rest of it done. In the end, the entire bathroom minus minus the toilet, which at some point, I don't know if we get crazy maybe we want to we want to get a st- we, our idea was to put a stainless steel toilet in there like like there's yeah. like a prison so it is like this uber industrial thing it's kind of scary because then there's this uh like 3 16 inch thick sliding stainless steel door yep. that's a barn door like a reverse barn door and the bathroom's a shower and a toilet and all everything all in one it's cool but it, it's it's just really industrial, like insanely industrial. I, I don't mind it. I would want to make um, kind of like a wood pallet to step on. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, yeah, that's, and a, then, that's a good idea. Yep. Uh, and then maybe a bigger window. 
uh, it was just hard to do, and it's hard to fix anything that goes wrong. Everything's so tiny in those spaces. Yeah. To try to get these big panels like moved around was is pretty crazy. Yeah, but be I, I like it now that I don't have to do any work on it. <laughs> yeah. What would you? Okay, so you for if we built Atlas two point Yep. Interior finish. Would you? What would you change on the interior as far as finishes go? Just the bathroom. And then I would get a professional real cabinet maker to make just slick drawers oh. that come out underneath. Yeah, we already have the we already have that guy. He'd be great. Yes. Yeah. He would be from, great. From the tiny the second round of tiny houses. And then built. maybe the floor I'd use a I'd I'd, I'd use a real hardwood. Um and it'd be different than the than the walls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we use Douglas for for the floors and it's it's nicky, like it's denty. It's yep. you know, it's not really a hardwood. It's sort of it's a softwood. I'd put that hammock in there. Yeah. Um, but what about the bathroom? That's what I'm really getting to here. Oh. What the heck would you what would we what would we honestly do for the bathroom? So a lot of tiny house people do wood and they just seal it. it. Really? Yeah. What would you do? Wood, I don't want to do concrete. Wood, I don't wood, wood would be cool. Wood would be cool. And yeah. I don't know about the floor. I have like what are you going to do about the floor? Could you still do a stainless steel pan or something like that? You know what? I wonder if you could get a custom pan and maybe just drill a hole for the toilet, get a shower pan, because I know these shower people, they they start at like oh. two foot six wide to four foot, and they I bet do you every could. increment up to six foot and up to four foot. Yeah. They'll do every inch. That's a good idea. Then for the walls, I wouldn't mind it, but I think you need to do something like a wood that's rot, like seriously rot resistant, like a cedar or a redwood or an ironwood redwood That'd type cool. of thing. That would, that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. What about the exterior? Exterior, I do uh, reclaim barn wood. You do barn wood. Yep. That and would then, be cool. And and I thought maybe not after. So um, the, two, the, roof? the two big tiny houses that we did, they went on tour. They went all across America, Colorado to Montana, to the East Coast, back to Montana, back to Colorado. And winter is over. Yep. And we didn't, we haven't got, we haven't really got any warranty calls. Yeah. So we're pretty proud of ourselves for that. And one of our guys knows the electrician down there and he goes, they came back looking just like when they left. It's awesome. So, um, Steel roof because I still want to collect rainwater. Yeah, but reclaim siding on the side and then just some man. I hope someone. I, I'm really excited. I didn't think I'd be excited to build a tiny house again, but now I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dude, good. Ham- and then putting the hammock. The in hammock there? is the hammock is key. The that has to happen. Key. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. And now okay. that we have a cabinet maker, oh, right. I just feel like we're better prepared. Third time's a charm, right? We've yeah. done, we would have. That would be our third. Tiny house building, I really think like the, the third time you do things, it's yep. better, right? So that's maybe why you, you, know, you should get married three times. Yep. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I'm just kidding. I'm just oh. kidding. That was a joke. Yeah. I love my wife. Um, so, <laughs> so that was good. Um, I think one thing, what, what, you have anything else? No, I just, I just think we're so prepared, especially with the subs, with the electrician um, and then getting better costs on solar panels i think we can do that too yeah so um, i hope i know a lot i know some people listening uh shout out devin tilly doesn't understand the tiny house movement and i get that i get why some people just don't do not understand it at all uh we we understand it because we you know we've been in it we've met with a bunch of different people i think it's i think it's a cool like niche thing to do so my my goal my i really hope that it doesn't die out by the time we're done with our development we can we have the space that's what we're planning part of the space for right yeah um, that we can, that we have the ability to just manufacture them. That'd be yeah. awesome. One every, I don't know, we couldn't. Maybe one every quarter would be it. Would be a, a kind of a stretch, but well, uh, three a year. Three a year would be good. Yeah, there you go. that feels about right. Yeah, feels about right. Awesome. 
All right, that's Tiny House Talk. Yep. Um, you wanted to talk about teaching a studio for the first time and, and sort of the value of that. Yeah, so um, as you might know, we teach at CU Boulder, and we teach engineers and we teach environmental design students. And a lot of environmental design students become architecture students. It's kind of like the undergrad. It's kind of uh, it's equivalent sort of if you take biology and then you become a doctor. Um, it, but this is what basically all architecture students do. There's not really too many bachelors of architecture degrees. It's all environmental design. I would say 90%. Yes. Yep. Um, so <coughs> it it is honestly, I'm so happy when it's done because now I don't have to go <laughs> to Tuesdays and Thursdays and, and my whole morning I can, I can work. Um, but I look forward to it every year. And these kids continually impress me, inspire me, um, it keeps me current because we're getting out of Revit. The, the more work we have, the more I'm, I can't even touch this. I just, I just have to manage and, and direct and do all that stuff. So, but these kids will ask everything from the dumbest question you've ever heard in your life <laughs> <laughs> to that's God. awesome. I'm glad you're doing that. I might not even know the answer. Let's find it on Google. Yep. Yep. There's always new projects. I think we're continuing, continuing learning. One of the things we say, so we, we taught we taught an ENVD studio in the fall of 2014, and we we only did it once. Um, from there, we actually ended up um, being able to train like some future employees. One 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 of which works for us right now. He's yep. he's phenomenal. It's a great way, I think, to keep your feet wet in both you know practice and theory, and then at the same time, maybe you can start trying to find and farm new talent because it's that's a precious commodity. Absolutely, 100 yep. percent in this in this industry. I actually want to encourage and de- discourage something. Okay. So a lot of uh, a lot of uh, principals that go and teach at a university, they are probably older than us, and it, that doesn't matter. It's just it takes a, a while to get a principal, and they've lost those practical skills. I think university has enough theory, um, leadership, all that. It, it's like we're stu- teaching students the qualities you'll need in 10 years, but not that they'll need right away. So if you're a principal thinking about doing this, I would almost discourage you unless you know a practical skill, meaning what program are you using? Can you teach your theory, your leadership in that, but also have them apply it so it's not in SketchUp um, and hand drawing, which when they come to your firm, whoever they're working under or working with is going to be upset that they don't know how to practically yeah. implement all these. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think the responsibility of instructors. There's a lot of responsibility that comes into play that I, 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 I hope more people become aware of. Right at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we are trying to create good practicing architects. Yeah. So theory is important, but yeah, the practicality. If there's if there's just anything you can bring to the table that helps them be a, a good practicing architect. They could be highbrow and, and crazy and doing yeah. awesome stuff, but if they, but at the end of the day, we've got to get things built. We've got to get things designed. I, I don't know an equivalent uh, analogy, but it, it seems sad that technical schools focus so much on this practical aspect and then universities focus on this leadership aspect and when none of them do both well. I, I, that's an oversimplification. I'm sure there's schools yep. that, that do um, Shout out North Dakota State. Yep, and, and uh, there's students who will just teach themselves. But uh, why it, why that division happens is, is crazy, and why why they don't focus more on on doing both. 
You just got to find the right people and get it done. Yeah. Yeah. But for, every, for but for everybody listening, if they've ever been interested, um, I would highly encourage it. Just see if you can get in there and teach for one semester um, or even maybe maybe contact some of the instructors and see if you can come in and give it give like an impromptu lecture. That's a good way to sort of get in and, and get out the whole thing. The other thing, if you if you're getting stonewalled, email, you can find the emails of basically every professor. If you go to the, your local university and just say, hey, I'm, you know, this guy, I just want to let you know that I'm available for um, crits if you need any. Yes. We always need someone to come crit. It's Wouldn't hard. That that's, a, that's really difficult for us to always find. We try to, we try to set it up so that our, the final critique for our design projects, we have about 60 students every semester. Yeah. We get a practicing architect, a practicing realtor, a practicing developer. It's so critical. Why, why, why every principal isn't, isn't doing that? Uh, I can't fault them because we aren't doing that. We do teach you, you get to pre-interview all your students. You get to see exactly. them, you know, your future employees. You can do third year. You can follow them up to fourth year, fifth year. You can see which ones drop off, which ones continually gain or which ones take some advice and then just sprint and man, that's going to be worth so much, so much to find those right people. And, 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 and honestly, 99% of the students are so eager to finally meet somebody who's practicing in the field yep. and, because they know that's their doorway. That's their doorway to get in. Like these, these, these students really want to make a difference in the world. Yep. I mean, they absolutely do, especially designers. They're just optimistic people. Yeah. Every, every business book that you probably open will state somewhere in there how key the people are. So this seems, this seems fundamental. Uh, and I know principals are super busy or if you own your own firm, but you can carve out a morning. A morning is totally worth it once every semester to go and critique a final presentation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, go out there and get them. Okay, cool. Um, so I think uh, from here, a little best and worst advice. Absolutely. And uh, the best and worst advice this week, it comes from my wonderful fiance and a practicing realtor in uh, Longmont, Colorado. So uh, we'll take a short, short break and Alex will come back with his reaction because I did the interview this time. All right, everybody. I have Marilyn Ackerman here. She is a local realtor in Longmont, Boulder County area. And uh, Marilyn is going to be our guest uh, for this week's segment of best and worst advice. But I want to preface this. When I first approached Marilyn, uh, by the way, who is my fiance, uh, to do this segment for us, she said, my brain doesn't work like your guys' does in that um, I don't think about best and worst advice like you. So can you can you kind of start by talking about that? Sure. So that question you asked me yesterday, and it sort of pained me because I couldn't even think of any advice. And I then could tell. I thought of, then I thought, well, of course, I receive advice um, in different ways, like everybody does, and yeah. I probably give it too. I give it all day professionally, of yep. course. So why it sort of pained me was because of my background in meditation, going to uh, a Unity Church for about 10 years and being a meditation teacher before that and in, just in different spiritual groups, where advice was a concept that was just not really part of how I thought about things because in meditation you you don't when you when you meditate you don't ask other people okay. you ask yourself I see so it's more of you're looking from within and then going outward rather than externally and going inward yeah so that's okay. why it just well, that makes me. sense yeah it, sure yeah it pained me so much because um, when when you have a problem you want to when I have a problem I want to solve in my life and this is what I learned from from the the unity church and from med teaching meditation was that I, I be still in myself meditate 
you know, clear my head and the answers come. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank, well so thank you for clarifying that. Because uh, <laughs> I, I was kind of shocked. I was like, what? You've never had best, but good and bad advice? So, so that's, that's super helpful um, to sort of, as sort of a lead in. So, so you're, so you're going to kind of give us some general life advice. Well, so since I'm sort of not programmed to think about advice so much, I just wanted to talk about examples okay. from my life. Um, where, I mean, I suppose, you know, people that give you advice are often in your family, but I don't think that my family was ever like that. Cause I mean, my family, my, my mom went to a Unitarian church. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, we just were never really advice people. We were just like, know yourself Fair kind enough. of people. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't think I ever received advice from her, but I just wanted to talk about the example that she gave me, which is just, was just something that I followed which was uh, that, so it was just her and I after I was about six years old and my dad lived in another state and uh, I watched her, you know, go from a uh, stay-at-home mom gain a, uh, with me when they were married, gained a master's degree then. And that was a time when we were uh, drinking powdered milk. <laughs> I was wearing my cousin's hand-me-downs and she was bigger than me. They didn't fit so well. Mm-hmm, it was a couple mm-hmm. years. And then, and then go to uh, having, gain, gain her MBA at a local college and then uh having a full-time job like eds was one of her employers it's, what is and what is eds uh, ibm it's, okay. it's a branch of IDM. Right. and then uh, you know and, and going to work in her heels and her suit and then uh and then going to her other job which was she acquired by the time i was 13 about 30 rental houses mm-hmm. so i watched her 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 do all this and that that was sort of not advice, but leading by example, where where I, I I could understand how you could build up from from a place where there wasn't much. Yeah. And build up from that, and you know, because I think if people ask me, you know, oh, you just if I t- about my child, and I say, well, I lived with just my mom, you know, they tend to have these thoughts that maybe that wasn't like maybe you weren't maybe you didn't have much. Right. Well, we didn't for a couple of years, but boy, we were doing great. Um, you know, by the time I was in my teens and early teens and so forth, we were doing fantastic. We were going on these package trips to Mexico. I mean, I was on, I was in ski clubs. I, we had everything I could ever possibly want. Um, so, and I was thinking about that and how I saw that example, and what I learned from that uh, was some things about how you don't have to be typical or a stereotype or you don't, you know, no, everyone is unique. You don't have to. Yeah. And everybody, and everybody, yeah, I love that because I think, I think one of the things I think society right now could be reminded of that would be good for all of us is that everybody is dealt their own set of cards, right? And it's up to you how you play them. And they might be a terrible run of cards, but at least you're dealt a hand of cards and it was up to Kay, your mother and how she, how she played them and she, she played them correctly. Yeah, she did. And it's funny because, so when I was living in my, my other house before I moved in here, so uh, a friend of my son's came over who was eight years old, and his dad was walking him up the, the, um, the sidewalk to our house, and I was in my garage, and they didn't know I was in my garage. And the friend, he goes, why is their house so small? And the, da- <laughs> <laughs> and, and the dad goes, well, you know, when, when a lady's on her own, Oh, they this don't is, this always. Is, this is the house before we moved in together. 
Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So, and the dad was, he was nice. He was like, well, when a lady's on her own uh-huh. or anyone's on their own, it, they just can't, they just don't always have as much. Right. And Why is it so small? That's which is crazy. hilarious because that what? kid's house was like one room bigger than mine. That's but what I was going to say. I know. Same neighborhood. What? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> We're talking well, like 80s style tract homes I know. in Longmont. I know. So <laughs> I know it was the same neighborhood anyway. So, and then, so I was in the garage and they didn't know that I heard them. Oh. And so I come out and I was like, Hey, you know what? Actually, if you put all the houses I own together, it would be like a big castle. Wow. I bet that freaked them out. <laughs> <laughs> it did. It did. Yeah. So talk about, talk about a little bit about, um, so how have you, you, you observed your mother, you know, throughout the years. She was a very, she was an awesome entrepreneur. I, I, I had a, like the opportunity for the first time last year during uh, Thanksgiving, I think when they came out to finally sit down with her and ask her about, okay, how did you, how did you, you know, rack up all of these houses and become sort of a, for lack of better words, like very successful slumlord, <laughs> <laughs> I know. you know, and real estate entrepreneur. So how have you, how did you take, you know, her leading by example and how have you implemented that in your life? Right. Well, one thing that she did really well was take leaps. I mean, real estate is always a leap when you, when it's it, those deals where you buy something and somehow the seller didn't know it was worth so much and you got a deal that just that's that almost never that's happens. It's not real. People are very savvy yeah. when they sell their houses. Yeah, especially here in Colorado. I think we've said this all several times between ourselves is that pe- real estate professionals in Colorado are very, very savvy. And, and in fi- even doing fix and flips, it's super competitive. To yes. Get and and the just the homeowners, they are savvy about what their home is especially, worth. Especially with Zillow and everything else where they can kind of do their own research at this point. I think that's helping them. Yeah. I mean, people might skim, you know, a few thousand uh, you know, off the price somehow with someone who's slightly less savvy, but they, it really, mm-hmm. it, you really can't, it, 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 I don't think that exists so much. Uh, so, so she was good at taking leaps of, of faith, but leaps of just knowing that real estate, uh, if you look at a graph, you know, it, it's gone up since, you know, the 1800s or whatever it is. And so she was just good at buying things that, uh, that, we're going to be profitable uh, in the future, and just just knowing that, and having that that knowingness, and not having to just think about exactly today. And also, she was really good at uh, looking at what was going on with the government. Yeah. Um, so the government at the time was giving out Section Eight vouchers for uh, housing. Housing, not Section Eight. Um, welfare vouchers and yeah so yeah they, just a stipend a stipend for for rent yeah right? so she was good at, at seeing at seeing how uh those rents would be secured because if you think about owning a, a house in a, in a really bad neighborhood you think that's very insecure but it's the opposite yeah in, in that in that yeah, she found her decade, niche she found her niche in that decade sure. it was the most secure and <laughs> maybe secure rental you could have the government was yeah. paying the rent and you know when i asked i when i asked your mother about that then she said there was a certain point where the government stopped writing the checks directly to the to the landlord of this, mm-hmm. and then everything fell apart. Everything so fell what apart. So what a what a brilliant insight by her. Right. Yeah. It was. It was great. Uh, so definitely, what what I learned was to that it's okay to take leaps even when the the thing that you're buying or investing in uh, seems at the moment to just be uh, regular, not not great. Yeah. Uh, to take leaps with the few properties that I that I've been able to get, um, and so I think that was really good that that she did that. Mm-hmm. 
yeah mm-hmm. so it's the leaps that were important and i think that's just being being in inside yourself knowing knowing what's true yeah you know if you want to read the news about housing every day yeah it's gonna make you crazy it's gonna make you crazy yeah 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 there's something there's something to a gut level decision that's that also has a lot of brain power behind it i think especially when you're you know deep in deep into a an industry like we are like real estate right Mm -hmm. where you just know you know like take it for my take for take for instance the house i bought the very first house that you sold me Mm -hmm. i just i mean i didn't even have to look at any other houses i just knew that was exactly what i needed i knew it was perfect for me to fix and flip and then we we ended up turning a, a pretty good profit on the thing in the end so i'm totally with you about about that kind of inward and just making it happen rather than looking for advice from 50 different places i think it can make people right. crazy yeah. it can mm-hmm. it can right yeah right so yeah and you were you were a great client by the way one <laughs> house one house and he bought it <laughs> he knew what he wanted <laughs> it was fantastic yeah it was pretty easy <laughs> cool well thanks for your time today on the podcast and uh hopefully we'll have you back on again cool thanks for having me yep that, that was great, Marilyn. Thanks for that. Lance, thanks for doing the interview. Uh, my reaction, I have a couple reactions to, to I think, three points. One, where she mentioned the buildup. I think this is so key. Society uh, treats entrepreneurs and, and the successful almost like um, instant successes. Or, and, and what a lot of those entrepreneurs will say is, oh, it took me forever. Even even Bill Gates and, and Zuckerberg, they'll say, well, I was working on this since I was 15 or 16. And you don't even know how many businesses that they did that failed yep. before that, before they got successful. Yeah. But I would almost take out the Zuckerbergs out of the category because you could say, oh, I've been drawing and working at architecture since I was 12 and I'm not even nearly close or none of us are as successful as uh, big Bjork Ingels group yeah, or yeah. You know, so, something like that. But so... I think you need to put those aside and then see that that your business, what you're doing is a huge buildup. And they say, uh, basically, when you're making your most money is in your 50s. So there's a ways to go for a lot of people. Colonel it's a, Sanders, it's a long game. Yep. I cannot stress that it is an 18 hole game with one extra hole at the end for sure. It's this, it's a, it's a, that's the way it works. And one of the best business books of all time was Jim Collins, Good to Great. And he talked about pushing the flywheel. Um, so basically think about, or, um, the, you know, when you're, uh, gaining power through water and let's say you're just pushing it yourself, the first couple pushes are going to be hard and that might be the first three years. And then, you know, five years, a little bit easier and then set, you know, and then all of a sudden you get that thing spinning and then you can just use your hand and kind of just keep it going. Yep. And I think that's what, what happened to us. Not only did it take three to five years to kind of bust out, it also took the economy to recover. Right. To, to bust out. Right. Um, so I like I, to think that we were like this. We were just incubating. We've been incubating an egg. And then yep. it, finally, it finally started to hatch. Right. And then it multiplied. And then it started multiplying. Yep. And that kind of segues into uh, what she said about everyone's dealt your own deck. Yeah. And success, however you define it, because it doesn't just have to be business or monetary. It can be... Uh, being being a good person, doing a good job, being a, a great friend, family member. Yeah, father, all son, that. daughter. Yep. So the deck of cards that you're dealt with, I want it where you are right now, I'd almost just pause, stop, and just say, This is where I am. This is this is what's happening. That this is don't take responsibility like, oh, I'm not one of these, you know, people that we even look up to. Yeah. Because Com- comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt. Um, because whatever you're going for is, is sort of like a combination, right? A sophisticated combination where there's maybe only a couple combinations that work and every, you have a deck of cards. I have a deck of cards. Everyone else does. And that big prize is maybe one out of a hundred thousand, one out of 50,000, one out of a thousand or something like that. And it, it's hard for you to compare yourself when, uh, let's say Facebook, multiple people were trying to do Facebook. Yes. Even afterwards, multiple people were trying to do Facebook. Yes. So if, if Mark didn't go to Harvard and steal that idea, which he said he didn't steal, but not, <laughs> I mean, come on, he did. If you, if you gave him some I, beers. I still haven't watched the film. <laughs> oh, you need to. <laughs> I know, I know. You need to. Um, and then if, if he wouldn't have met the Napster guy, yep. you know, it maybe not have worked out. Think, think about us, for example. If I would have went to the U of M, Mm-hmm. instead of NDSU, I could have met no one and been working at, and it was a recession, not had a job kind of fledgling by, um, or I could have met the most amazing person ever. Lance 2.0. Lance to just way better. Oh, that guy's cool. Way better. The new big. <laughs> and <laughs> I already like him a lot, <laughs> but what's crazy about that is whatever the, that scenario is, either one, I'm still the same person. Mm-hmm. You know, so exactly uh, still, you're still the same person, same set of cards, right? Or, or I mean a slightly different set of cards, but like you still have cards, right? Yeah. You still have cards. And and then I don't think, especially some of these, these young decisions about what university, oh, you should put, you know, all your effort and time and think about what university and basically mine came to, oh, the other ones are too expensive and people seem to like this one and it has good reviews. I'll go there. Yeah. Like that's it. <laughs> and it, it seemed to work out. So, um, and the, the thing about that combination is that the thousands of people are trying and no one relates the stories of, Oh, that didn't work out. That didn't work out that because I remember after Facebook, this one group, they're starting like this new Facebook. Hey, we want you to join. It's going to be better because this, 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 this obviously didn't go Gosh, anywhere. What the heck is it called? Like now you're making me think about it. Yeah, yeah. I know. There's another one. Ellie, L-O-L-O or Ellie or something like that, but there's With, some other, I, I can't remember what the heck it's called. Yeah. But that was, and then I knew friends actually from the U of M that were starting another different Facebook for, and, and LinkedIn worked, but man, there's a thousand, there's a thousand of those guys that are in the graveyard and those stories never get told. Yeah. Um, next that goes to take leaps. <laughs> okay. Uh, and what I wanted to say about this is yes, take leaps, but know that entrepreneurs, uh, are risk adverse. They take calculated risks. Calculated risks. So when when Marilyn said her mom figured out the vouchers, right? Mm-hmm. So like, okay, she took a risk, but she had a backup. Exactly. I'm I'm she understood sort of this formula, right? Yep. And she figured out how to plug herself into it. I think that's part of the equation is you need to figure out, you know, if A A plus B equals X, well then I maybe I'm X, but I need to figure out A plus B. Yep. So I'm I'm barely reading this book um, originals because I'm selling my house doing, uh, studying for the ARUs running for him. So every two weeks I'll read like two pages, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it made this point and they, they've proven it through, uh, scientific studies. And one of the studies was they'd ask everyone and then they, they'd ask, you know, who they are. And they, they tried to ask a bunch of entrepreneurs too, but they'd ask everyone so that they knew how they compared. And they said, here's a scenario, Lance, would you take $10 million with a 25% chance of that, of you getting that? Would you take five million dollars with a fifty percent chance, or would you take one million dollars with a seventy-five percent chance? 
this seems like the one million makes sense. Right? Okay. So th- that's what I'd say too. Uh, entrepreneurs chose that less riskier scenario more than the normal public. So they were more likely to choose. And then this is one of so the many, normal many public studies. took the 10 million. No, no, no. It, it, it's let's say uh, 80% of entrepreneurs said that. Yes. Maybe the general public only 70% said oh, that. Oh, okay. So you there's know, a it. noticeable difference. That's okay. There's a no- and this is one of many, many studies. So uh, while entrepreneurs might be crazy, you know, do all this other stuff, it, it's calculated. So let's say they're going to jump off a cliff for whatever reason. They're going to make sure that they know how fast they're going. They're going to make sure that there's pads there. They're going to make sure that there's pads outside the pads, you know? So, oh, they did something crazy, but you didn't see the behind work that they're doing to make, to make it actually work. Mm -hmm. So take risk, but take calculated, take calculated risk. Yeah. Um, Absolutely critical. Yeah. And then Forbes had an article that I'll post about that. Entrepreneurs are calculated risk takers. Cool. Uh, Cool. So yeah, that was my reaction. Yeah. Well, thanks to Thanks, Marilyn. Obviously. Thanks Dale. Um, Let's wrap up with some wonderful code questions that I have prepared for everybody. So I, uh, let's see, I think it was Wednesday. I finished reading the 2015 International Building Code. And wow, was it an amazing book. I got to tell you. Top it. (laughs) Five stars. Five stars Amazon. Uh, Again, I didn't read every word, but I, I... I don't know. I have the chapters memorized, so we'll see. I take the test. Um, I take my contractor's test in a couple of days, um, next week, Monday. So wish me luck. I hope I, I hope I pass it. Uh, you get instant I, I'm results. I'm gonna pass it. You get instant results. I'm re- and I'm gonna do a recap. So, God willing, I'll I'll pass it. Yeah. And then I want to do a recap on next week's episode about ARE versus the contractor's test. Awesome. Because it's kind of like the technical your analogy between the technical schools who teach practical stuff and these architecture schools that teach theory stuff like there's we got to start meeting in the middle somewhere. Yeah. You know, we got to start learning from each other yep. on opposite sides of the coin. And that's I just retook my PPP and I felt really good about it. But again, that's it, it, it's a false um, security because each question I know the you know, hey, what would you do uh, I, actually, I can't really say the questions, <laughs> but um, let's say uh, in so there's plan, uh, programming phase, schematic design, design development, and, and uh, contract documents. And it goes this information. When would it be more appropriate oh, to I, get? I already hate it. And and what's crazy about that is that if you're gonna have a subjective question, then you need room for a subjective answer. Because if you said, if you said, please write out in each, you know, that, okay, in programming phase, you might want it, but you'd, you'd really just be looking for this information in schematic design. You can disregard it because you're just doing like a design con, you know what I mean? Like I could explain, (laughs) but, but, but it's weird because it's not a schematic. I mean, it's not a subjective answer. No. That was awful. Yeah. I just cringed. <laughs> <laughs> so glad I'm done with those. <laughs> so I can't wait to see how you'll know. know how the, t- the questions. Yeah, are you learn. You learn. Uh, uh, sorry, you learn about the results right away. Is what I'm told. And I've asked several. I've actually asked a couple architects in the Ontario architect community. I've asked a couple contractors here in Colorado. Just advice on what to study for, what it's like, all that. Apparently, you get a um, a roll of drawings. And you're supposed to, a lot of it is just being able to read drawings. So that's oh, why the contractor, one of our, our best contractor told us, uh, told me that he's like, you're not going to have a problem with this. He's like, this is what you do for a living. Yeah. Like, really? I don't know. I'm still skeptical. Though. I don't, I just don't trust yeah. stuff. 
that's that's how the ARE should be for people that have been in the industry for five, seven, ten years. Like, oh no, you do this every day, literally for eight hours a day, <laughs> sometimes twelve. <laughs> exactly. Okay, here we go. Ready? Here we go. Uh, we're gonna we got three questions, and the la- third one is a two part question. Okay. Okay. So we're starting with chapter twelve, envir- in indoor environments. Okay, section twelve uh, one uh, section one two zero five point two natural light. Okay. The minimum net glazed area shall not be less than what percent of the floor area of the room served? Is it A, 6%, B, 8%, C, 10%, D, 12%? And I'll repeat the question. The minimum net glazed area shall not be less than what percent of the floor area of the room served? A, 6%, B, 8%. C ten percent, D twelve percent. I used to know this. I've I, I've had a planner come back and on a code on a review and cite this, and then we had to prove. So I know yeah. I already knew the answer, but I knew it in in college um, because what? that was one of the code questions that the someone probably Martin's brought up. Oh, um, and I remember. Oh, ma'am. So I don't remember it now. I'm gonna guess twelve percent. Eight percent. Eight percent. Eight percent. Yep. Nice. 8% is correct answer. Okay. Now we'll move up to, uh, we're going to go to chapter 14, exterior walls. I think cha- chapter 13, by the way, is uh, energy, and I think it's like two pages long or something. You, you like must that. have me- nothing. remembered that from the building official. From the building official, yep. Yeah. Yep. Got asked about it, had to prove it, and we were within 8%. We were yeah. right, at, right there. But So you, you can't have windowless uh, habitable rooms. All right, so uh, chapter 14, exterior walls, uh, section 1403.2, exterior wall envelope test assemblies shall be what sizes? And let me, yeah, exactly, you gave me that look like, what are you talking about? So have you driven by, I know you have, a big commercial project where they have they have a mock-up wall? Yes. This is what we're talking about. Okay. So in certain, like if we're testing maybe a new material or it's in the specifications that we want to test the full wall assembly or the building official has asked, hey, yep. I want you guys to do a mock-up. Yep. Uh, we've never had to do one, but in, so there's a certain size. You have, to, you have to have the contractor replicate it. So say this question again. So the question is, exterior wall envelope test assemblies shall be at least what size? Okay. Okay. A, three feet by six feet. B, four feet by six feet. C, four feet by eight feet. D, six feet by 12 feet. So I, I'm going to guess because I have never read this before and I, I don't have any clues, but based off what I've seen in the field. So I've seen them in the field. Um, I've seen probably three or four of them in person and they've all been at least six foot by, by 12 foot. Um, that doesn't mean that, that that's the answer. Yeah. Look at you, ARE guy. You're uh, that just means that they've all done at least one story tall. Uh-huh. And normally it's the first story and the first story is taller. Okay. Um, uh, but I'll say four by eight. Awesome. That is correct. Cool. And why I thought you would get that right is because it follows like fundamental rules of materials come in a lot of four by eight sheets, right? Yeah, so exactly. it makes total sense that they would do this. Yeah. That's actually really smart because you can buy one sheet of plywood. Yeah. Look at you, IBC <laughs> looking out for us, <laughs> trying to save and save, and save materials. Yeah. Okay. So if it was an ARE question, I'm just being funny now. <laughs> It'd be 4.33 <laughs> by 8.66. Oh, I'm just kidding. Who we knows? really want it. Oh, but. no, no. Honestly, who knows? 
All right, same chapter. Uh, this is clearances, and this everybody should probably know this one, uh, especially because you know we deal with selecting materials a lot, right? Yep. So, so it's section one four zero five dot one zero dot one dot one clearances on exterior stud walls adhered masonry veneer shall be installed not less than how many inches above the earth a two inches b three inches c four inches d six inches i'm going to repeat the question on exterior stud walls adhered masonry veneer shall be installed not less than how many inches above the earth a two inches b three inches c four inches d six inches i'm gonna say two inches incorrect four inches Four inches. Four inches. Yep. So it's got to be at least four inches. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I feel like I've seen a lot of brick way closer than four inches. Right to the ground. <laughs> right yeah. to the ground. There is. There have been cities and HOAs that have required us to go right to the ground. Yeah. So... And, and that's what the other reason why I said two is I go, man, I've seen a lot that you have to be under six you or you have to six or less yeah six or yeah. less um yeah. so so you could fight that in a way if you really wanted to according to the code well could you fight i mean the code that just means they're breaking it and that just means all of my field experience is doing something that's wrong yeah seeing something that's wrong seeing something that's wrong yeah yep. okay here's part two of the question okay okay yep <clears throat> how many um so for paved areas the masonry veneer shall not be less than how many inches above the paved Time area? Time out. I'm still thinking about this. Okay. Because okay. I, I, <laughs> I've had multiple uh, HOAs that say you can't, the brick has to come down to six inches within grade. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. But it can't be less than four inches. Right. So if, if you have something that's stepping mm-hmm. a slope, you're going to have to step that almost every foot or two depending on because you don't ha- because you have two inches of wiggle room you have two inches of wiggle room yep i'm not saying anything's wrong i'm just going practically exactly how this think, think about this no really yeah. yeah yeah it makes a difference for sure huh what okay what are what are we going to do when when uh an hoa or whatever says it has to be below six inches and there's slope are we going to show them you know okay Every foot we're stepping. You got fourteen steps. It's just a crazy stepping insaneness. I don't but is know. That, is that what? I think uh, it's something worth bringing up. Honestly, I mean, I'm surprised. I I didn't. I honestly was not going in any direction like this with this question. But I'm glad. I'm glad you yeah. are. <laughs> yeah. It's. A, I don't know, because I there's like I said, multiple multiple HOAs that have said stone needs to go to the ground. I mean, to the ground. Yeah, I've seen that too. Got before. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. Same thing for like lumber, right? You can't do or top to of found, top of foundation six, six inches. Yep. Or above or more, right? And know what's crazy about that too? Have you read because we've done six inches forever, but I swear one of the codes moved it up to eight, or maybe that was a preference by. Did you read anything about eight, or is it still six? I have a I have a question. I have about thirty more questions lined up, and so we're just going to continue doing this until we're done with them. But yeah. one. But what I'm getting at is there's a there's a seven inch. There's one that doesn't make sense. Once I get to chapter 23, wood framing, yeah. there's a seven-inch number that you'll just be like, what? This makes no sense. And I'll draw the diagram. You'll be like, this makes absolutely no sense. Why did they write it that way? But it, it, is the wood still six inches above grade? 
Yeah, and then and then any wood within the eight inches needs to be pressure treated. So that's what it is. That's what that's it what is. It's, you know. So they account for that. Um, the so, height, and that's why you go above six inches with your concrete because your wood base plate, which you could treat, is only one and a half inch. So yeah. you have to treat the bottom half inch of every stud going up. See, that's where it doesn't make sense because you always do pressure treated plates, right? Yeah. So that half inch, that's what I'm talking about. It doesn't make it, it really, really, I don't know why the eight inch blew my mind because I'm like, you should write it for seven and a half. Why aren't you writing seven and a half? But I suppose they just wanted to be practical with like an even number. Yeah. It's pretty weird. But then, so all concrete technically should be seven inches above grade. Exactly. To make up for that. So maybe they should adjust that number. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Uh, the more you learn, the more the more you investigate. So okay. So here's part two. Actually, there's two more little parts of this, but it's easy, right? So how how far should this mason? How what what is the minimum this masonry should be above uh, paved areas? A four inches. So paved area would be a sidewalk. Okay. Sidewalk right next. So to the So now building. it needs to be above that. Yep. Why? Yep. What yep. is the minimum height? It has to be above that. Okay. Okay. A four inches. B, three inches, C, two inches, D, one inches. Man, if you would have said zero, I might have chose that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say two, but it wouldn't surprise me. Ding, ding, four. ding. Correct. Awesome. Two inches. Okay. Okay. Last one. Not less than how many inches above exterior walking surfaces that are supported by the same foundation that supports the wall shall the masonry veneer be. That's a, that's a word jumble. It's a word jumble. So I'll just kind of explain it. Uh, I'll kind of dumb down the question for lack of better words. So let's say you have a porch that is, you poured a foundation underneath the porch. And yep. so it's not just and, a slab on grade. And the foundation of the porch is connected to the foundation of the house. Correct. Yep. Yep. So that's the situation. Okay. So how, how close can you get the masonry veneer in this situation? This right. is different. All right. A quarter inch. This is different. B half inch. C, three quarters of an inch. D, one inch. Uh, what's your grout? Grout is typically going to be three quarters inch, but that doesn't really matter. I'm just trying to think logically. Three quarters. Close. Half inch. Half inch. Yep, you can be a half inch. Okay. There you go. Here's a question. Okay. You know how we have, well, especially for other developers, I don't know how much we have for us a standard pages of details. Should should this be in our general notes? It is. It, did you look and are our numbers right? Yeah. Awesome. The only one I didn't have in is I didn't have in um, the paved areas and I didn't have in the above um, the walking surfaces that are attached to a foundation. So yeah. I will update that. Yeah, for sure. But I did have the four inch and this and what we talked about earlier with the six inch and the foundation. One of these days, you should read through our our general notes. It is a pretty good set of general. I, notes. I have, <laughs> I have. I just have. I just. Uh, it was I know, years I know. ago. Um, but whenever we have enough time, I almost think we should draw this one, and just have the the different dimensions, and then call it out, and then say this scenario, this scenario, this scenario, this scenario. I think it's a great idea Beca- because then even if Let's say we're drawing in an elevation. Our guys haven't read the general notes. And this 
this section will physically visibly and i think it's in. i think it's important for the paved areas because things are going to heave the Colorado the soil is so expansive in colorado 50 percent of our buildings here we have to get put on caissons we can't just do spread footers so yeah. that that sidewalk could move and then think about it it could buckle it could buckle all of that masonry veneer in the bottom and then like oh then they got to repair it and then we're yep. in trouble and all this other nonsense yeah uh before we have before we wrap up i want to shoot one idea out to the public okay so sometime we, we still got a lot to talk about. These questions are, are cool. Uh, one idea that I brought up to Lance is that we might read uh, a business book, but one, it, it's kind of tailored to architecture too. Maybe not too much, but a business book, a chapter each day. Uh, sorry, each, each week. week. <laughs> each week. Coming from the guy who reads two pages every three weeks. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then talk about it and see if it applies to our business. And the one I'm thinking about is... Um, yeah, yeah. E myth, yes, the E myth. The E myth. Yep, it's by Michael. Someone. Mm-hmm. I have to look it up. If anyone has any other suggestions about what you might want us to explore, I mean, it would just be one of our segments. Uh, uh, maybe it'd replace the best and worst advice, or maybe it'd just be uh, instead of who, who knows. But do uh, you got it? Yeah, it's called the E myth, and it's by Michael Gerber. Michael Gerber. There you go. That's our idea. Uh, let us know if you have any other thoughts. Uh, Other than that, do you have anything else? I got nothing else. Have a great week. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Thanks a lot.